This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Hi, Ages and Icons listeners. This is Gina B. I just wanted to give you a fair warning that in today's episode, there is a little bit of swearing. The F word happens to be right in the title of a book we're discussing. So if you have any kids in the car or pets that are easily offended, I suggest you put earmuffs on them. All right, enjoy the show. Okay, intro. Bum, 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 bum. Maybe I should just I should just acapella the intros. You could try if you want. Can you carry it for like thirty seconds? I can carry it for ten seconds. Let's try it again. Mike is gonna intro us right now. Hey everyone, and welcome to Ages and Icons. I'm Mike Crisalago, and I'm Mikey Sidekick Gina Bucci. The, hey, the Mike. human beatbox over there. Well, that wasn't beatboxing, Mike. <laughs> well, not you it's know. very white of you. That was uh, <laughs> that was doo-wop or bebop. Okay, what I mean is vocalizing music. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> vague, vague terms, Mike. Very good, generic. Um, if you're listening to us on everythingzoomer.com, uh, our podcast, of course, is Ages and Icons. Please make sure that you find us on whatever podcast app that you love and listen to. So that could be iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. We're on all three. Uh, and uh, subscribe, like us, review, tell your friends, tell your neighbor, tell your cats, tell your dog, we, tell your grandma. We read all the reviews. We we check out every like. Our uh, our egos are fragile over here. So please, please, likes and, and good reviews. Guys, Mike's begging you, okay? Just do it. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad to watch. And I don't want to watch it anymore. I don't want to see this anymore. Make him happy. He's a good guy. So uh, this week, Mike spoke to Daryl Hammond. He called him on the phone. Now, I just actually want to address the elephant in the room. We have had some audio issues with phone calls in the past. We have since solved that, I believe, successfully. So I apologize for the uh, David Sedaris phone call. It was a big one because that was very popular. And you gotta uh, let it go, Gina. You gotta well, let it no. go. It's in the past. But you know what? You gotta acknowledge these yeah, things. You yeah, gotta well, we acknowledge fixed it. We're good now. I'm, well, I'm just gonna tell the audience. I'm aware. We have fixed <laughs> the issue. Not to worry. Uh, this call, this Daryl Hammond call. Um, you know, he was on his cell phone. Uh, so you hear some. You hear some phone stuff. You can't avoid that. But it's much crisper, much cleaner. Um, on Ages and Icons, we're we're going to make uh, all of our audio issues. Um, I believe have been wrinkled out. Well, they were wrinkled. They have been ironed out <laughs> for you, the listener. So um, we're aware of that. We hear you. Thank you so much. We think that's solved. And uh, if it happens again, I'm sorry. It might in the future. Who knows? Depends. You know, Mike gets a call out of the blue, and we can't book a studio. What's it going to say? No. Yeah. And you, you know? see, you can tell how much it means to Gina, how hard Elton she John works. calls and Mike, what, Mike's going to be like, no, I can't talk to you. No. I would communicate with Elton John by smoke signal if I had to. In the spirit my world, absolute you favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Daryl Hammond was uh, a blast to talk to. Um, of course, he's a Saturday Night Live mainstay uh, for 14 years. Now he's the announcer replacing the late Don Pardo. But uh, yeah, he called us and we were talking about his new audio book. Uh, it's an audiobook of his 2011 memoir called God, If You're Not Up There, I'm Fucked. It's, uh, Mike, when someone searches that online, mm-hmm. would they would they type in the full F the word? The F word has an asterisk in the middle of the, so instead of a type? U. 
but I'm not sure how to pronounce the F word with an asterisk. Well, Audible lists it as God, if you're up there, I'm F asterisk. If you're not up there. Oh, yeah. God, sorry. God, if you're not up there, I'm F asterisk. C-K-E-D. C-K-E-D. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's how you spell it. So, yeah, it's, it's his uh, 2011 memoir. He's uh, releasing it now on audiobook through Audible, as well as a sort of um, sort of a collection of funny stories, a separate release called That's Clinton. It's a collection of funny stories and uh, just little anecdotes from his life and career that it, it's not really a stand-up routine, but he is sort of performing them in front of an audience. So that's also uh, coming up as well in Audible in early August. So uh, we wanted to talk to him about both of those things. That's amazing. You know, when um, um, I love Hammond on SNL, uh, obviously an incredible Clinton impression, uh, still does it. (laughs) It's very convenient for SNL to have him there in studio announcing. so you can drop it. Even his Trump impression is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we talk about it in the interview. He's like the uh, one person who's done an impression of Trump where Trump actually tweeted and uh, applauded it, said that they should replace Alec Baldwin and bring back Daryl Hammond. Yeah, but Trump applauds a lot of questionable people. I know, I know. So. This is finally it, somebody that we can agree on is talented, that Trump also thinks is talented. Yeah, but it makes me question everything now. I'm like, is Daryl Hammond evil? <laughs> no, like, no, 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 could no. Could he be? Um, <laughs> Darryl, you know what's funny about Daryl Hammond that I, I was thinking about earlier? He's been doing, well, he did SNL for 14 years, and he's second only to Kenan Thompson, as you pointed out before we went on the air, yep. who's the longest tenured cast member. Mm-hmm. So 14 years, and yet when you think about, hey, uh, name a legendary SNL member. Uh, it's not through no fault of Daryl Hammond's. I don't think he is one of the first that usually comes to mind. Usually people think of Bill Murray or uh, Chevy Chase or Gilda Radner or Tina Fey or Will Ferrell, on and on and on. Uh, because I, I, I think Daryl Hammond was so good at his impressions that he almost became the characters and I know it's in sat in a satirical way he's not like going to walk out on the street as Sean Connery and people are going to think it's actually Sean Connery but you get so lost in the impression that you almost like forget about the man behind it like when we when I was interviewing him I I forgot for a while that oh my god yeah he's the one who did Sean Connery in those celebrity Jeopardy skits that's amazing he's always making fun of Alex Trebek and uh, an interesting point I know we're going to touch on it later but uh, he used to do Al Gore and apparently after the first presidential debate in 2000, when Gore was uh, debating George W. Bush, Gore's people made him watch a skit of uh, Daryl Hammond doing Al Gore so that Al Gore would see, hey, this is what people think about you. This is how you're perceived, because obviously the satire uh, enhances the flaws of, of the person or uh, some misgivings of the person. It's just that he you get lost sometimes behind the impressions and you forget that there's a guy there. It's the same guy behind yeah. every person. That's absolutely right, actually. I, I 100% agree with you, which is rare. I'm usually <laughs> vehemently against everything Mike says. <laughs> I'm a stands, little worried. But... Somewhere the devil is shivering but down in hell. In this case, you're totally right. And he also has one of those malleable faces, which um, you you don't see his face. Yeah. The Bill Hader is another terrific impressionist. Yeah. Oh, I love Bill Hader, yeah. But Hader's got a face that, for me anyway, I'm always, I'm always aware I'm looking at Bill yes, Hader. Exactly, Even yeah. no matter how spot on his impression is, yeah. I'm always aware I'm looking at Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something about Daryl Hammond that his face, um, he, he he just kind of was a, a very, very good chameleon, yeah. uh, which is an excellent thing for an actor and an excellent thing for an SNL cast member, especially in that role 
level of of impressionist. Um, I remember. Do you remember the 40th anniversary? Uh, yeah, yeah. Special. Um, so he did it. The eyebrows were always different in every <laughs> every appearance as Sean uh, Connery on Jeopardy. And there's, you know, when they would go to the categories, the category name was Who Reads? And he read it as Horads. <laughs> <laughs> and one category was uh, Let It Snow. And he read it as uh, Latitz Now. <laughs> yes, Latitz Now. I remember Letits that. Yeah. Now. So funny. There's another one that may not have been from the so 40th funny. anniversary where the, the pen is mightier. Yeah. And he's and he I feel, I feel like there was a penis mighty or something <laughs> like that. And he's, it's so good. So good. Okay, so without further ado, here is Mike's interview with Daryl Hammond. Hi there. Hi Daryl, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks uh, so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. No problem. Well, I wanted to get right into it because I know we have a, a lot to discuss, but um, I wanted to start with the uh, audiobook of God, If You're Not Up There, I'm Fucked, which, um, I mean, aside from being hilarious uh, and, and poignant, and it just it's like it's up and down uh, as far as emotions go. I wanted to ask yeah. you about sort of re-recording or recording it now, you know, sort of seven years later after you originally published the book. And sort of what was the impetus for turning the memoir into an audiobook at this time? I I couldn't think of any reason not to turn it on, into an audiobook. And when you think of it, you think, well, gee, that's a great idea. I, I really would like to do that. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. There's a lot of voices in there. You know, the, the, there's a lot of performance uh, in, the, in the audio book. Um, I didn't understand how difficult it would be. But <laughs> to be honest with you, after so many years of therapy and talking about these very same stories with so many doctors, it didn't really beat me up. Uh, the only thing that was hard was it was hard on my voice, but yeah. but it wasn't like haunting. I didn't go off the deep end or or have any, any sort of relapse of any kind. Um, it was just hard physically to do. It's a difficult... Reading books on tape is, is no joke. It's pretty hard. Especially... When you're performing, like every other paragraph, you have to perform a character and, and do it well. <laughs> you know, not, and I, uh, I thought it was pretty hard to do, but I'm, I'm really happy I did it. Yeah, I was thinking that because you always hear people who, uh, authors who mention that they've recorded audiobooks, how long it can take and how difficult and arduous a task it is. And then you throw in it, characters on top of that. Yeah, it's really hard. I had heard that as well, but I didn't. If you're sitting in a booth and you're using your voice and you're mod, mod, uh, uh, modifying your your body and supporting your diaphragm and paying attention um, to every single word that you put out there, after three hours, that's old. Yeah. Well, wait till six hours. You know, um, <laughs> very doable, but much harder than I thought it would be. And yeah, and I was, you sort of already uh, touched on this, but I was going to ask you about sort of reliving some of the more painful moments from the book. That wasn't uh, an issue for you having to go back and, and sort of talk about it again? I mean, I, I was probably talking about, I've been talking about those stories for, for years with, in, in therapy. Yeah. Um, I was moved by some of it. I have to say, I think there's one thing, there's a point in there when I'm, doing my father talking about Nazis 
uh, about the SS and German soldier, a German soldier that he encountered, or things he said to troops before they would go into battle with the SS or the uh, Germans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my voice breaking and getting moved, um, a little tearful, as I read the piece. And I stopped it and I said, yeah, you know what, I, I, I'm going to do that over. They went, no, 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 <laughs> we're keeping that, keep that one. Yeah. Because you're giving like, you know, sort of a living performance uh, of, a, of a dad talking about some pretty horrific things. And uh, I guess I haven't heard it yet, but I I hope it's okay, you know. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm always curious, and it's interesting you mentioned that sort of the emotion, because I'm always curious what it's like for someone with a memoir who then puts it on an audiobook, uh, especially as you did years later, if you look back on some of these things that you know about, obviously you lived them, you talked about them many times, if you sort of learn anything about yourself, sort of reliving it now with some distance between writing the book and recording it. Um... I didn't learn anything from the book. You know, the book, there was probably a hundred pages of notes that never quite made it into the book because I had to get, oh, because I got hit by a car. Yeah, I was in a car accident. And so they thought they had enough to go with a book, you know, and they they were right. I mean, it became a New York Times bestseller, but it's probably a hundred pages of notes. Um, it didn't make it into the book um, where I talk about all the stuff I learned during that process, but... You know, look, it sounds really banal to say it, but I'm learning stuff all the time about myself, and some of it isn't so hot. Yeah. You know, there's always always room for self-examination and improvement. And I didn't do anything like that for the first part of my life, and I try to do it now as uncomfortable as it is sometimes. Yeah. Um, what about the reaction that will ultimately come from people who listen to the book? Do you have the same sort of feelings putting out the audio book that perhaps you had when you were putting out the physical book into the world as far as what people will think or if they're coming upon this story for the first time? I don't... I've wondered if... if I wonder if it's more effective reading it. I don't know. I mean, I haven't <laughs> heard it yet. And... um I'm very curious. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. Um, of course, a lot of people, when they, they come to the book or the audio book or what have you, they'll know you uh, uh, mostly probably from your work on Saturday Night Live, uh, having been the longest tenured member and uh, in setting so many records, which I didn't even realize until I was sort of doing some research for this interview, uh, the record for saying live from New York <laughs> the most times. Um, yeah. The one thing that sort of stood out, especially for Zoomer, uh, given our sort of uh, our focus on aging and, and uh, the 45 plus demo is that you also hold the record as the oldest cast member in history at uh, 53 when you left in 2009. Right. It was very uncommon to hire someone at the age of 39. Hmm. You know, I started my dream to be on SNL when I was 27. At that time, I, just, I decided that if I made, I got this from Tony Robbins, the, the, the life coach that if you make small incremental changes every single week of your life, at the end of the year, it's 52 improvement. Mm-hmm. So when I started the one good enough to be on SNL, it was a fantasy. I had a fantasy, and I pursued it. But I became convinced after a while that if I practiced 
five days, six days a week, made one improvement a week, that after a number of years, maybe I would be good enough that despite my age, they would take me on the show anyway. Because, you know, this, this is a show for young folks. Mm-hmm. Not that 39 is, is necessarily old. It's not. But for that show, it is. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the best achievements I ever did is I went out there with the youngins and, and competed <laughs> and, and was able to do pretty well. Oh, it's incredible. And I was wondering, too, if as you w- moved into your 40s and into your 50s and were still uh, a cast member on the show, if your age as compared to your castmates who are much younger, if, if there was any sort of, um, I don't know if it's an advantage, but if it gave you a certain comic sensibility or sensibility within the show that maybe a younger actor or performer doesn't have. That's a, I, I don't know. Um I know that the the more times you do sketches in that theater, in that format, the better you get at it. I know I wasn't very good my first year. I started to get better my second year. But I really didn't get comfortable out there on camera until my third or fourth year. So maybe there's an advantage just from sheer experience, you know. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, you also became known for all of your impressions uh, obviously, most famously, Bill Clinton, but everybody, Sean Connery, Al Gore, and, and on and on. I, you had uh, my friends and I literally in tears one time doing Chris uh, Matthews, uh, mm. talking about Dick Army and, and going on. There was a sketch. I, I cannot find it online, but I remember being on tears watching it uh, on TV. But yeah, I remember the sketch. Yeah, you remember. And, Chris, and all the other names Chris, that you were mocking him. Chris Catan. Chris Catan played Paul Begalia. I forgot who played Dick Army. Um, it's been a while, but yeah, I remember it. I was, I liked that. I really loved doing that sketch. Yeah, no, we were in tears, but I mean, I'm just wondering for you as a performer, uh, both what, what's your most, uh, what was your favorite impression to do and, and perhaps what was the most difficult? Well, the most difficult one was Newt Gingrich. I couldn't even come close to it. Um, they ended up putting me out there because it was good enough to do a, one or two lines and they needed that in the sketch and it's, it's difficult, not because it's abnormal, it's difficult because I had never done a voice like that before, and there wasn't time to learn it, you know, mm-hmm. just a few a few hours. Even if you get your assignment on Wednesday, that doesn't mean you're going to have three days to learn it. Right. You're going to be doing so many other things, you know, so you run out of time sometimes when you're preparing those characters trying to go to air. And did you have a favorite? I never did Al Sharpton on the air. <laughs> but that's my favorite to do in live performance. And I hate to say it, but by the time I'd done Clinton for four or five years, he really started to explore all the different sides of that guy. Yeah. That had to be the most thrilling thing you could possibly do. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, now you're still with SNL and uh, serving as an announcer, uh, replacing Don Pardo, which I would have to imagine is in some ways a monumental task to follow up uh, a television legend like that in the same role. Well, it was, the way it was, imprint, in, in, uh, was presented to me was that the way we're going to replace Don Pardo was we're not going to replace him. We're not going to hire another announcer. Yeah. We're going to say he's the greatest announcer ever and he's not replaceable. So we're going to hire his friend Daryl to come in here and do an announcer. Daryl's not an announcer. So it was sort of, the whole thing was meant to be an homage to Pardo. And in the very beginning, and we still do this sometimes, we made sure we colored 
some of the vowels as a tribute to Don. For instance, when I say featuring, you know, in the very beginning we was, we would always do featuring, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just a way of tipping the hat, saying we love you, Don. We're never, we can't replace you, and we don't want to. But here's your friend out here doing it, <laughs> doing, taking, taking his, doing his best to to, to get it done. <laughs> do you do you just enjoy being on set there at SNL now in a different role and, and hanging out with everybody still? It's pretty enjoyable without the, there's no pressure. Yeah, um, I know I'm going to be doing my. Sh- thing i'm not i'm gonna i, I, mean, I know i'm gonna be in the show um and i it's kind of nice to be around everyone and just shoot the breeze and have coffee and talk with people and spend a few minutes with people that i've known in some instances for 15 or 20 years yeah and it, it's interesting I, I wanted to just mention that you're one of those few people i know that uh you, you had started impersonating donald trump years ago and and you were one of those few people who actually got a compliment from him Oddly enough, on yeah. your impersonation, which must seem a little bit surreal, given nobody really gets compliments on him uh, from him for doing an impersonation. It's pretty bizarre to be, you know, sort of walking around your house being this uh, this normal, challenged person, um, and realizing the president just did something that has people in Ghana saying your name. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're talking about you in Beijing today, Daryl. Um, the president is talking about you uh, on Twitter. That, that was hard to wrap my mind around. Um, but as with so many things about SNL, you know, describing some of those experiences, a lot like trying to describe the Grand Canyon. I really can't. Yeah. Uh, I'll try. Paul McCartney was here. The llama was here. The tap dancers were here. And then LeBron James walked in. Uh, <laughs> how do I describe what that's like? Right. I don't know. It's a day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of presidents, you have your uh, another Audible release coming up called "That's Clinton," uh, which which isn't uh-huh. really a stand-up, right? It's it's more of a it's an assortment of stories from your book. Right. There were stories from the book that we hoped would be funny. Um, <clears throat> we hoped they'd be funny stories. So I think there were ten of them. Um, we took them out in front of an audience. And uh, and told the stories, and you know what? Some of them were funny. Uh, all of them weren't, but we didn't we didn't include <laughs> we didn't include those in the recording. <laughs> you have the one again, just sort of thinking about stuff we uh, often talk about here and health and wellness, and you have your colonoscopy story, which uh, is hilarious, and and how Bill Clinton sort of popped out. And yeah, it really is, you know, and. and um, you know, you're, 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 in, you're, you're in this procedure, this very invasive procedure, for a very, very serious reason. And you've got that on your mind. And this anesthesia, I was struggling a little bit during the procedure, and um, <laughs> the <laughs> anesthesiologist walked in the room and looked at me and went, and the, what would, <clears throat> she said, what would Clinton say? So I thought, Wow. Wow. That's insane. (laughs) Even in this procedure, with this high flute and Upper East Side dock, Bill Clinton still walks in the room. (laughs) And if people listen to to That's Clinton, they they can find out what Bill Clinton would say, actually, which is funny. Uh, (laughs) The answer to the question, which you deliver. 
Um, it does. Do you, yeah. Sorry. Do you get um, do you get approached a lot by people asking you to do you know Clinton or or whoever? In the beginning, it was do Clinton for me. Uh, <clears throat> years later, um, it's they do they do their Clinton for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened to me last week. I was when I was in in New Orleans. And it was it just it comes in flurries. People come up, or they do their Sean Connery impression, or they don't do their Clinton impression. <laughs> See that a lot, and I've, that's from coast to coast. That sort of thing happens. It's very interesting. I think you and on uh, that's Clinton. You told a story about somebody yelling like uh, their a Sean Connery impression at you, like to make fun of you or something to that effect. Like the way no, that Connery would make fun of I, Trebek. Yeah, I, I was walking down Broadway one night around Forty First street over by the New York Times building and someone walked out of a little restaurant there and yelled out moo moo like that and I go what is that and the guy said that's the sound your mother makes you know and, <laughs> and again <clears throat> you, do, <clears throat> you sort of do a take to an unseen camera and go what is that it helped me understand this you know <laughs> Help me understand this planet I live on. Sometimes I, I find it funny to think that if you were, you know, starting out as a comedian and somebody could have flashed forward and showed you the future and said, in you know, thirty years, this is going to be an experience you have on the street, and trying to figure out where the heck is that coming from? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so strange. Yeah, if you were get, getting a glimpse into your future, yeah. you would be utterly baffled that someone came out and celebrated. Meet them out there celebrating you <laughs> by yelling out "moo." Yeah, you're right. A little weird. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, when, if you're if you're working in comedy today, and uh, compared to when you were younger, when you were starting out and coming up, but even before SNL and, and through it, um, if your if your sensibility for what you what inspires you for comedy or or how you uh, create your comedy has changed as you've gotten older compared to when you're younger. Yeah, I mean, as I got older. I began to realize that people in the crowd, you know, I started to get a sense of uh, of good people looking at the same picture, seeing different things. That I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I realized I didn't want to hurt them. You know, I I I I always try to do character-driven stuff that, you know. I do Dick Cheney hitting a golf ball, and Republicans can laugh at that, too. And, and mm-hmm. that sort of became what was described as my middle-of-the-road approach to comedy. I always always tried to say something nice about the person before I actually made fun of them, you know? Um, so maybe that's not a hard... I think in this era now, when I go out and do stand-up, um, for instance, if you're going to do Trump, you have to... Uh, you either got to cut his head off or you got to exalt him to the stars <clears throat> because it, there's no middle of the road. There's no way for me to get Trump lovers and Trump haters to laugh at the same joke right. in the same way it used to be in the past. Hmm. And do you find yourself when you go out and do stand-up, do you still get the same nerves, the same jitters that you used to when you were younger? No. I take no. my friend Kendall Ketchum with me. We, uh, we have a good time out there. Um, I, I enjoy it. I know the material. You know, I've been doing stand-up a while now. Yeah. 
I've got a little experience out there, and so I'm a little bit more. I'm actually a lot more comfortable when I'm out there, and I can actually have some fun with it. Nice. No, I'm glad to hear it, and and I wanted to ask you quickly about um, aging well because uh, we we do talk a lot about that here at Zoomer, and I know, and, and you talk about it in your book, and and even in this interview, you you've discussed struggles and uh, and sort of dealing with it and trying to better yourself. Uh, and so I was wondering if you know through that. Uh, through your own experiences, if you have any advice for our listeners and our readers as far as aging well up into your 50s and, and 60s and so forth? I don't, I don't know if this will be helpful for anyone, but what I discovered was, uh, you know, there was a time in my life when I would go to the gym and, and I wanted to look like Brad Pitt or I wasn't going to be happy. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be thin and buff and lean and, and I wanted to run three miles and you know, or I wouldn't be happy, you know. Um, that made it too hard to go to the gym, Yeah. you know. Um, what I, the way I approach it now is I want to get good checkups from the doctor. I want my cholesterol to be enough that the doctor says it's okay. I want, I want my blood pressure to be good. You know, I know I'm a few pounds overweight. I'm not so svelte. But, hey, the doc says I'm doing good. So the thing that I discovered was that the, the first five minutes are the only hard part. The rest of it, you just do it. But it's like that first five minutes when your body is refusing to accept what your brain is telling it to do. You just go to the gym and go, okay, I'm only doing 10 minutes today. Um, also, there are yoga tapes um, you know, I can't do yoga. I'm the most inflexible human in the world. But there are some yoga poses that I do in the morning when I'm listening to positive thinking messages, you know. Um, I, per, I per, Some people like uh, Abraham Hicks or Wayne Dyer, whoever the person is that you like, you know, let that set the tone. I let that set the tone for my day. And I'll do these yoga stretches, and I'll breathe and you know, I'm not throwing a knockout punch or, or competing with anyone. Once I could let go and go, Daryl, it's really okay to not look like Brad Pitt. Hmm. It's okay. All right? People still like you. You still have friends. Um, interesting enough, when I was trying to look like a, a Superman, uh, my health was not good. Hmm. Now that I'm doing it three or four times a week, um, my health is pretty good, nice. you know. I've got to watch my carbs intake and all of that. But my friend uh, is a um, he's a a, uh, a nude model for NYU Art Students League. He's in his sixties, hmm. and I say to him, "What's the key here, man?" How do <laughs> and he says, "He goes, listen." I say to myself, "I'm in my sixties. I mean, how good am I supposed to look?" All right, I don't kill myself at the gym anymore. I just show up and I do a nice moderate workout. Yeah, you know, that was a hard thing for me to learn. Oh well, I'm glad you learned it. I really am. And then another person told me, "Hey, if you can lie down on the floor and stand up, just do that every day. You know, and do that a few times. And there's some yoga postures for that. Move. The more I move, and the main thing for me is sweating." Yeah, the more I sweat, you know, Epsom salt bath. I take one almost every day just for the sweat, you know. Oh wow! So, 
So that's my little thing. <laughs> nice. Oh, and, and avocados are good. Avocados, are, apparently I don't have, I have a, I have a smooth skin because I eat avocados. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> everyone always tells me that. Uh, what goals uh, do you still have for your career going forward? I don't know about my career. I <coughs> I don't know. I kind of did what I wanted to do, and so you're you're sort of faced with sitting here, and I have a comfortable apartment, and I'm looking out the window in New York City, and I don't have anything to do. Um, it was a little bit weird to not have a race to run, or a mountain to climb, or a fire to put out, or a dragon to slay. You know, sitting here going. People say to you, hey, you did it. You know, they say, mm-hmm. uh, you're an SNL legend or you're an SNL icon or whatever. Okay, all right, I did it. But now what do I do? And I don't really know. I know that I'm doing, um, I'm raising money for children's advocacy centers. I'm going to speak to some people in Congress in September. There's a movie about my book um, coming out very soon. And in fact, next week I'm going to a film festival. Um, that Michael Morris put it on in Michigan where they're going to show a movie about the book that I wrote. I don't know what I do with myself. (laughs) I try to stay busy, but, you know, it doesn't always work. Sometimes I end up just watching TV all day, and I guess that's not always a good thing. (laughs) Not always, but I I appreciate that you uh, took some time today to talk to us. We uh, we really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, congratulations on the audio book. It's a wonderful listen, and I look forward to uh, jumping into the rest of the stories in That's Clinton as well. Thank you so much. Okay, we're back. Good interview, Mike. Thank you. So the book is on audio, audio, audible. Audible. It's a mouthful. Audible. Actually, it's (laughs) kind of fun to say audible. Right now... And uh, it's called God. If you're not up there, I'm effed. <laughs> and um, there's also a collection of uh, short stories, kind of his stand-up uh, thingy called. Yeah, it's, That's it's, it's more of casual than stand-up. Just him telling stories, riffing on things uh, about his life. Uh, called That's Clinton. Yeah, it's a great companion piece. Actually, you get a, um, a little more relaxed and um, off-the-cuff version of some of the stories from the audiobook. So the um, the audiobook, God, if you're not up there, I'm effed is uh, kind of dark. Actually, not kind of, pretty dark, but also, you know, littered with yeah. a lot of great impressions that uh, that he does, that Hammond does um, throughout it. So, um, I mean, it's kind of fun, but you will be navigated through some some dark places. Yeah, it's, it's kind of shocking, actually. It's not just necessarily your normal, uh, oh, I got drunk and passed out and woke up under the freeway or something. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, that's normal. That's a, that's <laughs> a, a normal Tuesday celebrity, night. not normal. Like, I didn't do that this weekend. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, you know, like, as you mentioned earlier, he had uh, abuse from, from childhood mm-hmm. that he has been dealing with his whole life. And uh, and I know even uh, you and I were talking about some of the stuff he, he would do on SNL uh, backstage, uh, sort of how he would take it out on himself and how his demons would reveal themselves. And, and they're, they're pretty shocking. Yeah, that story is messed up. He did that great Al, Al Gore impression at the debate. You were talking about that, how yeah. the Al Gore camp I used it as a reference. Like, yeah. Don't do this. But <laughs> just before that performance, he actually cut his arm up like so badly that he had to gauze it. And right after the show, they 
but he had to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, like he not, not cut like he accidentally slipped and fell. Like he was cutting it himself. Like yeah, like if you're watching Sharp Objects right now, oh man, it's hard to watch. Uh, Amy Amy Adams is doing that. Yeah. When I think of like explosive guys on SNL, you know, you think uh, Belushi, you think uh, Chris Farley. For you know, the drug culture, um, yeah, of course. You you think of like especially when it especially when you think of Belushi and Farley, just as just two examples. Mm-hmm. You think of like these explosive personalities on screen. Okay, like. Just you could see the bundles of energy you and and it was unpredictable. You didn't know what they would do. You didn't know what would happen, and they, it didn't always turn out smoothly. But it was funny and it was electric, and uh, there's a danger to those performances. Mm-hmm. But with Hammond, this is a crazy thing to me. With Hammond, I always considered him like the most reliable, consistent yep. cast member. He was the workhorse. Yeah, he um, going through all these troubles and 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 in this book, like he talks about like living in crack dens while he was yeah. on SNL. Like, know, that's right? crazy. And yet this guy came out week after week, the most reliable impressions. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's a good thing to remember as well. Uh, you know, we talk a lot in our society today about mental illness and, and people. I mean, you never know what anybody's dealing with when you, you encounter them, whether it's somebody you know or somebody you, you know bump into on the street. But uh, it's a good... Uh, Good reminder that people are dealing with stuff that you don't necessarily see on the outside, and and it's not always what it seems. And uh, you know, compassion and understanding is always is always a good thing. Two of my favorite things about this audiobook is is just that number one that he is somebody who had the lowest possible lows and and some of the highest highs. And even in his sixties now, he is still working to better himself. He's not saying I'm I'm done. Look, I'm good. I'm famous, so I'm I'm okay now. He's still working physically, emotionally, mentally to better himself and showing that it can be done, that you're not a slave to your demons or to to your past or anything like that. So I think it's a good motivational story for anyone who, you know, maybe feels like they need that same sort of, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know what you would call it, but like a little pep up in their life, you know, something, you know, they need to start improving their own path. Yeah. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself and work on it, uh, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's not too late. Like he's in his sixties and he's still doing. It. He's not saying, "Oh well, my, you know, I'm in my sixties, so what's the point? Like this is who I am." No, no, it's never too late to better yourself. And also, uh, what you mentioned earlier, the the audiobook is almost like a little performance because he does so many impressions in it. Uh, so it's a little bit different than maybe your your normal audiobook, uh, but it's a lot of fun and it, it's a good listen. Yeah, it sounds great. Can't wait to listen to it. Mike. Also, oh. I <laughs> sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say there's the. There's a question that I, I, he talks about in uh, That's Clinton. He talks about the colonoscopy, and we talked about it in the interview. And uh, we, we never got the answer as to what Bill Clinton says in the colonoscopy. And uh, in the interview, I left a, a little d- dead air there for him to, to answer it, and he didn't. So I don't know if maybe he didn't want to do the uh, impression on air or what have you. But uh, if you hear That's Clinton, you'll get the full uh, story, and it's quite funny. I don't want to. I don't think he wanted to give the uh, the milk away when you get the cow for free. You know, whatever that saying is. No, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I don't like asking people to. You know, you interview a singer. I don't want. Yeah. yeah, why buy the milk if you can get if you oh, have the cow at thank home? Thank you. I was like, <laughs> just killing me. How come I can't? Get or why? This? No, no, no. Was that or is it? Why buy why the cow buy if you the get the cow, milk for free? Right. Why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? Yeah. That's it. It's something about cows and milk. But but yeah, I mean, as journalists, we don't yeah. ask a singer we're interviewing to sing. You don't ask a comedian to tell us a joke. You know, you just sort of it's a respect thing. So, but if you listen to that's Clinton, you'll uh, you'll hear it, and it's really funny. Okay, well, another great week, Mike. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just hit my my <laughs> on the mic. And, oh, 
<laughs> you just headbutted the microphone. Did. I sure did. Um, I don't remember. Are you supposed to do that in radio or no? Um. Well, yeah. Y- they yes, encourage you apparently. to hit the microphone. Yeah, encourage you to hit the microphone and um, for good luck. I think it is. And uh, hey, audience, you know, um, I know I have a head concussion right now, <laughs> but uh, please follow us on uh, Stitcher and uh, iTunes, Google Play. Um, I have amnesia. I don't know if I've said this already earlier. Today. You just said you have a head concussion. Like, what other kind of concussion would you have? That's interesting. <laughs> you hit your head harder than I what thought. What other concussion could I have? I've had, I hit my head. Pretty much every day, Mike. If it, it it isn't a day ending in day, if I have not hit my head, <laughs> we need to wrap this up before. Yeah, let's wrap so it up before we get. We need to get the plugs in. So, peeps, so follow us there, please. Follow us there, Mike. Okay, wrap it up. Thank you uh, so much to Daryl Hammond for his time. Thank you to Gina. We'll get you to the hospital as soon no, as this I'm is good. over. <laughs> and thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on Ages and Icons. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.